Hello, everybody, and welcome to Nintendo Week for the end of week of February 25th through March 3rd. I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, and as always, I'm joined by Alex Playett. Hey. And Ben Lamoureux. Yeah, you just can't get rid of me. <laughs> so we had an ungodly amount of news this week. Um, between Nintendo's investor Q&A at the beginning of the week and a mountain of other news afterwards. So we're here to give you the best rundown possible of all this new information. And after the break, we're going to talk about Nintendo's smartphone plans. They've said many times in the past they're going to try to figure out how to use smartphones to promote their business. So we're going to ponder exactly what that might look like. So guys, let's jump in. To start off the week, Iwata said that discounts and TV commercials don't affect game sales, and no matter how much he please, nobody understands. So Iwata essentially says that these practices no longer work, and that Nintendo needs to find more effective ways to promote their games. And he may be right that there are more effective ways, but that certainly doesn't mean that commercials and discounts aren't effective. Um, and so I think Ben can lay down some slick knowledge, yo on what exactly this says about Nintendo. Well, first of all, Con, I'd like to request that you never talk like that again, because that was just embarrassing for you. Never, never. That's my <laughs> dialect, Ben. <laughs> yeah, this story was a bit of a head-scratcher for me. Like, I, I disagree with the idea that discounts aren't going to help game sales or console sales either. Um, we've, we've seen it be effective in the past with 3DS launching at $250, and then to get that big price cut because it wasn't selling at all, but it dropped to 170 and suddenly it was selling like hotcakes. And that kind of price cut might not be effective this late in the life of 3DS, but what I find more interesting is his second point, that TV commercials don't really help either. And I can see him saying, you know, his, his big thing is that he thinks that communicating the value of a product is the most important thing, and that you can't communicate value properly with a TV commercial because it's, you know, 30 seconds to show off all the cool games that are coming to 3DS, or 30 seconds to show off what you can do with the Wii U gamepad. And his, his idea is that they're replacing that with Nintendo Direct. And I agree that Nintendo Direct conveys a lot more information and in more exciting ways because you've got, you know, 30, 40, 45 minutes to show off all the, the cool new upcoming games you have. But I don't think you can say that it replaces TV commercials or even comes close to it. Because with TV commercials, if you, you air a TV spot during a popular show, then maybe you've got 5, 10 million people seeing that commercial. But if you air a Nintendo Direct, they get maybe like 100,000 views on like YouTube and Twitch combined. And the kind of people that are watching Nintendo Directs are mostly people that either already have a 3DS and a Wii U and are looking to see what cool games are coming out for it, or people that were already pretty much sure they wanted to buy one eventually, but they're just, you know, waiting for that, that killer game to come out that makes it a must-have system. I don't think you're going to draw in any new fans with a Nintendo Direct that aren't people that were probably already going to buy it anyway. So I think 3DS or I think Nintendo Directs are a great way to communicate the value of Nintendo's products, but I don't think they're a good way to get new customers, which means they're not a replacement at all for TV commercials. They're just something nice to have alongside TV commercials. Absolutely. And may I say, as a former kid, yes, TV commercials work. <laughs> they just do. I think they might be looking at the success of games like Minecraft, which aren't heavily advertised in the traditional way, but still spread through word of mouth. But I think their mistake is looking at a game like Minecraft and thinking that's something that will work for every game, right. when that's not necessarily true. They still need to have traditional marketing activities for those games that aren't these prolific spread quickly through word of mouth sorts of games like Wii Sports were, right. was last gen. 
So Iwata believes that the new Nintendo 3DS will help cushion the system's declining sales numbers. Uh, we've talked on this show in the past about how the new Nintendo 3DS really seems to be designed around convincing 3DS owners to rebuy 3DS hardware rather than attracting new customers to the 3DS family of systems. Uh, and I don't know about you guys, but I think that this story definitely affirms our suspicion, because the language he's using here really emphasizes sales numbers, uh, whereas if they were trying to expand the audience, then yes, I think it would still mean sales numbers, but I think he would be framing it around the growth of the 3DS family of systems, reaching new customers, rather than simply the numbers of their sales. Yeah, um, they're not they're not really talking about expanding the audience in the same way they used to. Uh, it did come up once in the investor Q&A, one of the investors asked about it, uh, and Iwata's response was something like, oh yeah, we couldn't demonstrate any difference to consumers as long as we were repeating DS and Wii approaches. So I guess their idea is if they make something that's similar to what they've already done, like new 3DS is pretty similar to old 3DS, just with some better versions of the old features, that they're not expanding the audience that way. So it really does sound like that's not their even their intention with new 3DS. Yeah, I, I like that you use the word cushion the sales as opposed to like, uh, you know, improve them or help spark interest in the system. Because specifically the investor asked that in, in regards to the trend that typically a handheld peaks at around year three or four and then kind of slows after that. But 3DS peaked in sales in year two. It's year three sales were lower than year two. It's year four sales so far have been lower than year three. So I, I don't think this is a case of reigniting a console or preventing this console from from hitting that wall and slowing down like they often do at this point in the slide. I think it's exactly what you said. It's cushioning the sales numbers. It's, you know, getting people to to upgrade and make the numbers look a little better, turn a profit, but it's it's not really expanding the audience. Uh, he also says that Nintendo waited until 2015 to launch the new Nintendo 3DS in America and Europe in order to avoid stock shortages. As frustrating as supply shortages were in 2015 uh, for both the Majora's Mask edition and the regular models, I think it's fair to say that they made the right choice, um, especially considering last year they were dealing with a lot of negative PR about shortages of both Amiibo and the GameCube controller adapter, uh, you might remember. And adding a new 3DS into that frenzy would have really inflated the heat that they were taking at the tail end of last year. Yeah, if we already experienced shortages with them waiting until February to launch it, I think it just would have been a nightmare if they tried to put that thing on shelves by Christmas. Well, especially since it's actual gaming hardware. It's not an accessory. It's not uh, a toy. It's... It's a core product for them. So Nintendo wants to redefine entertainment with their upcoming plans for what they call quality of life devices, uh, in the same way that they redefined the video game market with Wii and Nintendo DS. So if you're unfamiliar with these quality of life plans, or QOL, uh, Nintendo hasn't announced a whole lot of specifics just yet, but they're trying to use their knowledge in making fantastic, engaging video games to make engaging systems for improving people's quality of life. Uh, so the first of these QOL devices that they have in the making is based on encouraging people to live a healthy lifestyle. Iwata says that many people try to maintain good diet and exercise habits, but because it's not engaging enough and results are too incremental to really notice your health improve, that people ultimately give up. I'm guilty. <laughs> so Nintendo hopes to use their expertise in making games to build something that better incentivizes people to get in shape and stay healthy. Um, I'm not too fond of using the word gamify, but it is literally what they're doing. Um, they're trying to gamify health so that more people are encouraged to live healthy lives. Right, and, and in his discussion about this with investors, he pointed out how Nintendo's gotten pretty good at making games in a way where you don't need a complicated, long manual to know how to play. 
and they would use the same kind of idea for their health devices or other quality of life devices where they're simple and easy to use. You can just jump right in. And then also you're encouraged to keep playing the games because they reward you. Mm -hmm. Or in this case, you'd be encouraged to keep doing your exercise because there's going to be sort of game-like rewards for it. So that you'll, you'll be hooked and invested in it instead of just doing it for, you know, an exercise routine. Right. And Nintendo also promises that uh, in light of this, video games will still continue to be their first priority. Uh, despite, you know, venturing into these other forms of entertainment. Because, you know, in addition to all this QOL stuff, they launched Amiibo figures, they're going to be licensing their IP to other companies, so they really are branching out from just games. Uh, they recently, in fact, said that they are an entertainment company, not a video game company. But still, Iwata stresses that Nintendo is a video game creator above all else. He says their priority is the video game business, and they're going to work on better communicating the high quality of the games that they're making. So we also got an interview from GameSpot this week with the team behind Kirby and the Rainbow Curse, which is a game that we haven't really talked about a lot on this show. So Kirby and the Rainbow Curse is kind of a follow-up to Kirby's Canvas Curse, which came out for Nintendo DS in 2005. In Canvas Curse, Kirby was rolled into a ball and players would draw lines to guide him through various stages, and Rainbow Curse revisits that idea with some key new twists. So the most important difference between the games, they explain, is that the Wii U's processors and the large touchscreen on the gamepad allows for much faster gameplay than the Nintendo DS one did. Uh, and as a result, the Rainbow Curse is centered around the quick rolling of the ball from one place to another. And because of this faster gameplay, they decided not to include Kirby's famous copy abilities and really just double down on what makes Rainbow Curse unique. Whereas Canvas Curse did have copy abilities uh, and some puzzle solving elements with those abilities as an integral part of the gameplay. They also talk about the way that they use clay as the game's central aesthetic. Uh, Nintendo's no stranger to unique art styles. We've seen them tinker with making their characters out of different materials. Uh, you know, we've seen Paper Mario and Kirby's Epic Yarn, where everything is made of a distinct material. But in these games, often that material serves as a mechanic in addition to simply a visual style. So like, so in Kirby's Epic Yarn, you know, you'd unzip things, you would pop in and out of felt. But the clay in Kirby and the Rainbow Curse is really only used as an aesthetic to complement the game. They decided to use clay because Kirby's squishy, he's soft, and, you know, clay is a material that lent itself well to Kirby's transformations. Uh, the clay can simply reshape itself, and because it's, it's you know, clay, is <laughs> transforming wouldn't really break our immersion in the game's world. Xenoblade Chronicles X is going to have an immersive time flow system. Uh, the game will change from day to night with six different phases for times passing. Early morning, morning, afternoon, evening, night, and late night with Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy I'm Fallon so should be a playable character jokes. in that game. I'm really feeling it. Uh, I'm going to create Jimmy Fallon as my character. The time of day will affect what you can do in the game's world. Um, so just as a quick example, there are more monsters out at night than there are in the daylight. There's also a weather system which features different kinds of weather and different environmental conditions, uh, like heat waves and sandstorms, that will affect how you play. Uh, you can check out some more footage of the day and night cycle at Gamnesia.com. If you're tuning into this podcast right there from the website's page, you can check down in the list of stories below to find the video. If you're watching on YouTube, you can click the link in the description that says read more on this week's stories. And if you're listening on iTunes, then there is no link, but thank you. We love you the most. They've also revealed two new characters whom fans speculate may be new party members and the first chapter of a short story based on the game. The short story makes several references to Homs, which is the race of Shulk and friends in the original Xenoblade Chronicles. I admit I haven't played the original game, so I don't understand the significance of those references, uh, but fans now are speculating that Chronicles X may be tied to the original in story and not just in spirit. So Alex, you're our resident Xenoblade fan. Do you have anything to say? So, um... 
about Homs. Homs are basically just the Xenoblade word for humans. So I wouldn't say that that's strong evidence to suggest that there's an actual story connection. Uh, then again, I haven't read the whole story. I tend to not read the sort of fan translation stuff. Um, so if there's ever an official translation, I'll scour the heck out of that and uh, tell you what I think. Uh, but that's basically the equivalent of Final Fantasy games having Moogles or Chocobos. Uh, it doesn't mean there's an actual story connection. It's You're just... telling me Final Fantasy VII wasn't, re- wasn't related to Final Fantasy II? Yeah, I, I hate to shatter your dreams, but... Uh, I thought they're... Cloud was Palom and Poram's son. You don't know anything! Um, yeah, there's no I'm Final obviously Fantasy kidding, one. man! Uh, That'd be really horrifying yeah. if, if Palom and Poram had a son together. Uh, anyway, so the day-night cycle stuff is kind of familiar. Uh, they had similar times of day in the last Xenoblade uh, with monsters, different monsters appearing at night, sometimes tougher, sometimes prettier, like little firefly thingies. And you had NPCs who had schedules uh, in Xenoblade as well, and it's, that's probably going to be back as well. Uh, weather systems also existed in the previous game, but they didn't really impact battles. It sounds like this time... Uh, specific weather conditions and specifically region specific weather conditions will have a big impact on the battle balance nice uh, so you might run into a scenario where you wouldn't want to attack an enemy when it's raining but when it's dry the enemy might be weaker that's a really cool kind of dynam- dynamism yeah especially given the the uh, diversity in the areas and so they can all have very different types of weather yeah i'm pumped for this game even though i know i will only be able to spend like five hours on it and then give up just because it's just so big <laughs> oh so you'll get through the story intro maybe <laughs> yeah pretty much uh one more thing that you might notice in the latest footage uh that we haven't really seen too closely in the previous footage but it's clear that like in the previous game you'll also have lots of different gear to choose from and it'll all drastically affect your character's appearance cool, cool. um so you know different shoes different pants different shirts and it'll probably all show up in cutscenes, just like in the previous game, too. So Tantalus Media, the company that brought Mass Effect 3 and Deus Ex Human Revolution to Wii U, is porting another game over, and it will be announced soon. Uh, Tantalus says that it will be released later this year, and it's their biggest project yet. Uh, so you know what that means. Half-Life 3. <laughs> I do remember a few years back when Wii U was all new and shiny, Reggie fils said that he was interested in bringing Grand Theft Auto V to the platform. Ooh. I don't know if that's, you know, still something that could be in the works now or not, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, I was I was actually thinking about, you know, what games this could possibly mean. Um, and I was thinking, what are the games that they could qualify as their biggest project, you know, bigger than, like, something like Mass Effect 3? And the only things that really came to mind as, like bigger than mass effect you know i thought maybe they're doing like portal 2 or something but the only things that i could think of that were bigger than mass effect are gta 5 and destiny and i doubt that destiny would work on wii u's online infrastructure well i think we're missing the elephant in the room and that's minecraft no because notch notch literally laughed at i you, yes, you make notch with the company anymore notch is, that, notch is out that's of the true but now point. that it's bought by microsoft uh i don't know you may you may be right. I just I've kind of discounted any hope. and uh, and I say that because it's, it would be something that'd be easy to exploit on a Nintendo platform. Yes. Just oh, absolutely. The, the depth and breadth of their IP. Absolutely. Um, My big question is if it is Grand Theft Auto Five, which will release first, the Wii U version or the PC version? <laughs> <laughs> um, so Tantalus is also, however, porting a game from Wii U to PlayStation Four, Xbox One, and PC. Um, so the the most likely candidate in my eyes is Zombie U because it's one of like three Wii U games that isn't already on other consoles and isn't published by Nintendo, of course. And when the other options are Lego City and Rabbids Land, 
Zombie U, uh, to me, really makes the most sense for multi-platform audiences. And whatever it may be, though, that port is also coming out later this year. If they didn't have such a strong track record of bringing Western games to Wii U and then probably porting them off of it now, too, uh, as opposed to Japanese games, I might think it was Monster Hunter or something like that, since I know Capcom probably wants to expand their revenue stream for that series. You mean Monster Hunter isn't doing well in the West? We've had this conversation <laughs> before. Uh... Yeah, Capcom, uh, and Capcom's in this kind of port to everything sort of mood lately if it's not PlayStation 4 exclusive, mm-hmm. so... Uh, oh yeah, it's basically free money for them if some other company ports their game to PS4 and Xbox One and PC, mm-hmm. so... Pretty close to free money, yeah. Yeah. So a new study released has shown the top five reasons why people own which consoles. Um, according to the study, gamers own the PlayStation 4 for higher resolution and the Blu-ray player. Uh, they own the Xbox One for its brand. And they own the Wii U for its fun factor. Uh, You know, it's better for kids, it's cheaper than its competitors, it's backwards compatible, and of course, it's unbeatable exclusive first-party software. So another part of the study also showed which last-gen consoles owners of current-gen consoles came from. So you can check that out at Gamnesia.com if you'd like to know more. But a fun fact from that study, actually, uh, more PS4 owners owned a Wii than owned a PS3. I thought that was kind of interesting. I think that probably speaks more to the number of people who replaced their PS3 over the years, thus inflating the PS3 install base, whereas I don't think we had that many replacements. I think no, it more really people was... owned a Wii. Uh, exactly. I think it really was more, not just more people owned a Wii, but more people bought multiple PS3s. So the disparity between the two is even bigger than it appears just from the sales numbers. So Hyrule Warriors is getting one final pack of DLC later this month called the Boss Pack. Uh, the Boss Pack launches on March 12th in North America for just $2.99, or for free if you already bought the Season Pass. The Boss Pack's main attraction is a boss rush mode, where you fight several bosses on the battlefield at once. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second, because the much more appealing thing is a new mode called Ganon's Fury, in which you play as the Mega Beast Ganon and just tear the enemies to shreds. Uh, he's big enough to smack around colossal monsters like Manhandla and King Dodongo, uh, like, they're just his little playthings. He, he looks kind of like a cat playing with a ball of yarn. So what you're saying is Manhandla gets manhandled. Ganhandled. 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 <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> so this mode is, uh, you know, it's really the ultimate Hyrule power fantasy. But it's not all, because if you get an A rank on the third level of Ganon's Fury, you'll unlock a new challenge called Cucko's Fury. And yes, it lets you play Hyrule Warriors as a massive cucko. Game of the year. What if they make Captain Toad too? Obviously, Ooh, that trumps Captain all other Toad games. Captain Toad in Hyrule Warriors. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant as a. <laughs> no, no, no. Captain, Captain Toad Fury sequel. Adventure time is over. <laughs> so, Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate, which just launched a few weeks ago for Nintendo 3DS, it will be getting free DLC packs every single month. Uh, The DLC will release the first Friday of every month, and you can get the first pack on March 6th, which is just a few short days away. Uh, The first pack contains various Zelda-themed items, uh, including a set of armor made to look just like Link himself. So this is a really nice, substantial offering from Capcom that promises a lot of support for the game down the line. Um, I'm inclined to believe it's a part of an effort to better popularize Monster Hunter in the West, uh, because it's historically sold very poorly compared to its outstanding success in Japan. Um, and I think it could do a lot of positive work for the series, 
so long as it gets the right publicity. Um, you know, the right word of mouth and the right people talking and sharing news that this game is such a good experience and such a well-supported, consumer-friendly model. Right, this is this is kind of rare to see Capcom do something like this because they kind of have that negative reputation in the gamer community for milking DLC and things like that. And also, just with a, with a game that has such a an online focus like this, if you can keep releasing DLC, and especially free DLC, then people aren't, you know, playing the game for a few weeks and trading it in. They're keeping it for several months to come, which, like you said, helps with uh, the word of mouth because there's more people playing it at one time and telling their friends about it and encouraging their friends to pick it up so that they can join in on the hunts. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you talked about Capcom's bad reputation because uh, I was doing some digging on this uh, since I know this DLC already released in Japan. And it turns out that the Japan version of the DLC was like a 7-Eleven exclusive. <laughs> so free DLC, definitely better than 7-Eleven exclusive. And that makes sense in Japan, actually. You, should, you shouldn't you shouldn't laugh that much. Uh, they, they love their 7-Eleven. Is that like the equivalent of, Sur- of Slurpees? In America, 7-Eleven gets exclusive rights to Slurpees. In Japan, they get exclusive rights to Mon- Monster Hunter DLC. I, I, I guess you could look at it <laughs> that way. I'm going to look at it that way. Buy Monster Hunter, get a Slurpee. <laughs> So an exploit was discovered in all Pokemon games for Nintendo 3DS that lets you hack any Pokemon you want into the game without using external hard, uh, without using external programs. Uh, it works with all Gen 6 titles, meaning X, Y, Omega Ruby, and Alpha Sapphire. The catch is the exploit only works on the original models of 3DS, so new Nintendo 3DS owners cannot participate. Um, essentially, the exploit involves clearing a slot in your PC and then scanning a QR code through the 3DS camera for whichever Pokemon you'd like to add. So you can visit Gamnesia.com if you'd like to learn all the specifics about the exploit and learn how to do it yourself. The existence of tricks like this is always controversial. So um, I personally think it's a great discovery. I know I, for one, am not going to go to a Toys R Us in, like, Idaho Falls just to get an Arceus. Um, So for me, I'm all for using this thing to make life a little easier uh, and a little less Idaho-y. I'm a little sad that the exploit isn't something like the old Missing Now glitches where you just kind of surf in a random place. Because uh, those those kinds of things in the original games were legendary, and this just seems so much less legendary. Yeah. I think a lot of people are going to be upset by this just because, you know, and they put all their hard work into, you know, catching rare Pokemon or they travel again or whatever, and then they see someone else just like, oh, look, I completed my full Pokedex by scanning a few things, you know. They're going to they're gonna feel like they've kind of been cheated out of their experience. I mean, it's like the new version of the Warp Zone, except for it obviously wasn't intentional. Uh, you know, you could beat Mario without the Warp Zone and you'd get the street cred, but if you just want to get to the end, you can... I mean, who's who's to fault you for that? Right. I'm not necessarily saying I'm opposed to it, you know. I think oh, yeah, if you sure. find something cool like that in your game, it's fine. I just know that I think a lot of people are going to be upset about it. Right. All the purists, yeah. Yeah. So a new 3DS firmware update came out, and it disables the software hack that disables your 3DS region lock. Uh, So if you've been enjoying region-free gaming on your 3DS, uh, thanks to this software hack, uh, don't upgrade your firmware unless you're willing to make that sacrifice. And Ben, uh, you said you you heard that this firmware update also disables that Pokemon exploit that we were just talking about? Yeah, so I haven't enabled any of these hacks on my 3DS, but I've heard reports from other people that have that this new firmware update will also get rid of the Pokemon exploit. So I can't say that I'm 100% certain about that, but that's... That's just what I've been hearing from people that have, you know, toyed around with their 3DS a little okay. bit. Okay, yeah, I, I am not planning on updating my firmware for my, my old older 3DS model, so not going to confirm it here Free for Pokemon for, for Colin? Free Pokemon for me. Yeah. 
I don't want to go to Idaho. <laughs> Nintendo finally explained why it takes so long to restock Amiibo. Certain figures are made by hand. Why? Why? Why are they not all mass-produced? Like, to be fair to Nintendo, uh, they did say that only some figures are handmade, so we don't know if that means, like, certain characters are handmade, like, all villager amiibo are made by hand, uh, or if it's just a certain percentage of amiibo, regardless of the character. Why do they do this? I'm also wondering, are any of the the defective amiibos or the ones where they've got, like, you know, three arms or they're missing a head? I wonder how many of those were handmade. <laughs> because, <laughs> man, they have hand. really got to work on their production. <laughs> I wonder if those yeah. are the handmade ones. And it's just all a conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> we're sorry, we need to delay the restocks because we're busy making... Impossible! Amiibo. Or some Oy. worker decided they weren't getting paid <laughs> enough. Oh, your Martha's going to have three noses. On the bright side, they did announce that they will be restocking Villager, Little Mac, and Captain Falcon in Japan this May. So hopefully they'll be restocking them worldwide as well. And finally, Yacht Club Games has announced a huge expansion pack of free DLC for Shovel Knight the popular indie game that proves some things just don't have haters. This DLC is a whole new story mode quest where you play as Plague Knight. Uh, he has all new weapons and techniques, and it even introduces a crafting system for players to test their alchemy skills and create their own weapons for Plague Knight. So this is a really huge expansion that can really be considered its own game. So its whopping price of $0 is really something special. Uh, if you'd like to learn more, you can check it out at gamnesia.com. I will find a Shovel Knight hater just for you, Colin. <laughs> and always, to conclude the news segment of this week's show, we're bringing you a lightning round with little nuggets of information. So, some upcoming dates to look out for. On March 6th, Japan is getting a stream of Xenoblade Chronicles X that focuses on the game's battle system. Uh, that's this Friday, so be on the lookout at Gamnesia.com for more information. On March 14th, Platonic Games will officially unveil Project Ukulele. Uh, for those unfamiliar, Platonic is a new indie studio composed entirely of former Rareware staff, and Project Ukulele is their official spiritual successor to Banjo-Kazooie. On March 20th, you can get the Gold Mario Amiibo from Walmart. Nintendo has finally confirmed that it exists, uh, it will be available for $12.99 in stores at only 3,000 stores across the country. March 20th is also the day that the Mario Party 10 line of Amiibo launch, as well as the game Mario Party 10. <laughs> um, late April is when the Marth Amiibo will be returning to stores. So mark it on your calendars and make sure you get one. Aren't you forgetting something, Colin? What? Codename Steam. Oh. It's also... Also on the way Oh, March 13th. March 13th. March 13th. All right. Codename Steam. Uh, so we've also got quite a few interesting facts for you. Um, a lot, actually, this week. A lot happened this week. So a new adapter lets you use just about any USB-compatible controller on Wii and Wii U. So that includes DualShock 3, 4. I believe it includes, like, the USB Xbox 360 controllers. Um, and also just any, you know, any sort of third-party USB controller, like SNES reproduction controllers. Nintendo is shipping the Smash Bros. 3DS and Wii U soundtracks to club Nintendo members who registered for the product. Uh, I got mine in the mail the other day, and it is super pretty. The creator of Devil's Third, the upcoming Wii U exclusive, recommends that players use a Pro Controller instead of the gamepad. So if you're planning on getting Devil's Third, consider buying a Pro Controller. Uh, Nintendo is one of many publishers attending Gamescom this year. There's no surprise there, but it is good to have confirmation. Nintendo explained how their internal teams are organized 
organized. So if you'd like to read up on it, you can head over to gamnesia.com and also let us know if you'd like us to break down this kind of thing for you in the podcast in the future and really analyze it in depth. Because if you want to hear it, it could be really interesting. If you don't, it's no big loss. GameStop Italy is restocking the Majora's Mask Edition new Nintendo 3DS XL on March 27th. Uh, no word on other countries, but hopefully it will be back in stock soon. Pokemon Shuffle, Nintendo's free-to-play Pokemon puzzle game on the Nintendo 3DS eShop, has hit 1 million downloads, which is mighty impressive. Should have said mighty, Anna. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Nintendo announced some time ago plans to make a web browser-based eShop, and that program just launched in Japan. Uh, currently, you can only buy the Mario Kart 8 DLC, but more content will likely come soon. No word on when this is coming worldwide. And some really big news came from Sega. Uh, we're not going to go too in-depth here because it is a Nintendo podcast, but Sega is facing massive downsizing and restructuring the company to focus on mobile gaming and online PC gaming. Uh, so they're, they're really cutting way back on console games. Um, and they did make a point, though, to say that they will keep making Sonic games for home consoles, and, you know, it's a very safe bet that that includes Wii U. And finally, some new videos came out this week, which you can find at Gamnesia.com. Uh, we've got a trailer for Xenoblade Chronicles 3D, a TV commercial for Mario Party 10, and a launch trailer for Mo Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate. Oddly, Capcom released that about 11 days late, but nonetheless, it is here. Um, Colin. What's up? There's, there's another video. What? Uh, so Game Explain released the opening cutscene of Codename Steam. Codename Steam? Codename Steam. Hashtag Colin's fault. Colin! Hey, hey, hey. I can't think of a joke here. You know, I'm really steamed about this whole thing. <laughs> oh my god. Abe's <laughs> a- gonna emancipate your <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, thus ends the news recap. Uh, boy, that was a lot of news. But... Stay tuned, because after the break, we will be talking about Nintendo's plans for integrating smartphones into their main line of business. Do we think they'll make games, companion apps, or what? Uh, and what will these types of things look like? All that and more in just a moment, so do stick around. Hello, everybody. We are back with more Nintendo Week. I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, and as always, I'm joined by Alex Plant. Yay! And Ben LeMoreau. Still here. So, Nintendo has been talking a lot about making plans to use smartphones to promote their main line of business. So, that is our topic of discussion for today. Do we think they'll make games or companion apps or what? Uh, what will these types of things look like? Well, I'm not really sure what Nintendo's plans are going to be, just because this is something Iwata has been saying for... What seems like forever now. It's probably, in reality, been maybe a year and a half. He keeps telling investors, we have plans to use cell phones to our advantage. We're going to use the mobile market to increase sales, etc., etc. But he never gives any specifics. The one thing he does say, which I think is unfortunate, is that they will not be releasing any games. He's, he's stuck really firm on that, is that they do not plan to release any games on cell phones. And so I can't say for sure what they will do. But I wrote a, an editorial about this subject a while back. You can read it at gamnesia.com. And basically, I, I outlined my idea for what I think would be an effective strategy for them. You know, if I was CEO of Nintendo, if I was in Iwata's you shoes... You will be one day, Ben. Obviously, you know, I've got my, my grand master plan. I've got, you know, like a, a list of objectives before I finally take Nintendo down. Or, I mean, you know, take over Nintendo. Um, 
So, essentially, the two points Iwata always brings up when investors ask him why he won't release cell phone games is, A, you can't make them control as good on a phone or a tablet as you could on a console, and he doesn't want to lower the quality of the games by having lackluster controls. And B, he says, if we put games like Mario on a cell phone, then people won't want to buy a 3DS. And I essentially outlined how Nintendo can use smartphones to their advantage while taking those two points and sort of sort of flipping them on their backs. Mm. The On the first point, he says, you know, they don't want to hurt the controls of games. And there's definitely a lot of games where you do need super tight, super responsive controls, especially right. with, you know, platformers but and things But on the flip side, nature. there are also a lot of games where you don't need super tight controls. Exactly. Um, you know, like... Like you can play lots of RPGs. Um, there are a lot of games like like if you look at uh, like WarioWare Touched or WarioWare Smooth Moves, you don't need super tight controls. You just need to touch something on the screen, and it works great. Exactly. There's and they and they just made a game. It's called Pokemon Shuffle, where <laughs> it's literally a smartphone game. I mean, not literally, but basically a smartphone game on a 3DS. Right. Right, so there's there's plenty of old games where super tight controls aren't needed, like RPGs, and there's plenty, especially with the DS lineup, of, of games that are designed specifically for touch controls instead of super tight controls. So I think in the short term, it would really do Nintendo good to have sort of like a virtual console type app where they release some old games, or they release some, uh, some DS and 3DS games that are designed for spe- specifically for touch controls, or they could release some new games, and I'm not talking like full, like, you know, the like $40 type adventure games you'd find on 3S, but just, you know, smartphone type apps, but with a Nintendo spin for a dollar or for free, but with, you know, maybe some in-game transactions, nothing that, you know, was required to beat the game, but... Nothing like Final Fantasy Heroes or whatever that was. No, just, you know, maybe like some (laughs) alternate costumes or alternate music or things like that. And then on the second point, he he always says, if we release games on smartphones, it's going to hurt 3DS sales. And... This puzzles me because there's there's no if about it. This isn't some future scenario. The mobile market is already cutting into Nintendo sales in a major way. Like, you look at where 3DS is in its life right now and how many units it's sold. It's only sold about half as many units in its first four years as DS did. And there's a lot of factors involved in that. It's not all smartphones, but a, a major factor in it is that kids aren't really asking their parents for a handheld system anymore because they've got a phone, they've got a tablet... They, you know, they didn't grow up necessarily with Mario and Donkey Kong. They've grown up with these cell phone games. So it's not really an issue of if we release games uh, on cell phones at some point, then 3DS sales are going to drop. It is already happening. It's happening in a major way. And right now, Nintendo's just sort of ignoring it and saying, we have plans to deal with it eventually. Right. And what I'd like to see them do instead is to release game demos or little spin-off games that go in line with upcoming games. Like, for example, if there's an Animal Crossing game coming out later in this year, you could release a little, you know, cheap $1 Animal Crossing app or a free-to-play Animal Crossing app. And so these kids that have, you know, grown up playing cell phone games and tablet games, they get a little taste of that Animal Crossing experience, but not the full experience you would get on 3DS or Wii U. And then, you know, once you beat the game... Or, or once you've played the app extensively, maybe you get like a, a little teaser that says if you want the full experience, you can play it on the new Animal Crossing game on 3DS or the new Animal Crossing game on Wii U. Right. And I think there's a lot of Nintendo games that could easily be turned into demos or little spin-off games, 
and used to draw in a new audience of young gamers. Absolutely. And I uh, I definitely think um, that that kind of model where they do like demos or little side games uh, is a great model for them because they can introduce their IP to all these people who really only play on smartphone devices. And that way they can use that as a springboard to say, hey, if you like playing these games, you would like owning a dedicated gaming console. And we provide you with a dedicated gaming console that has much fuller, much better versions of all these games. Um, you know, they, they can release something like a little a little Mario Kart game with like Mario, Luigi, Peach, and Toad playable with like three courses that you can only do quick run for, like no Grand Prix, that you can play and you can play Mario Kart and you can enjoy all of the fun of Mario Kart, but it's so small that it gives you just a taste of like what Mario Kart is and then says when you've gone through the whole game, so say, say like there's a mode you do all three courses in a row, when you complete that, instead of like a credit sequence like they would do in a full Mario Kart game, it would just say, hey, if you liked this, you'd enjoy Mario Kart 8. You should think about buying a Wii U. Exactly. And I think the trick with that kind of plan is to do it in a way that's not, you know, really shoving themselves in the consumer's face. Um, doing so in a way that, that invites them to Nintendo's platforms rather than in a way that says, go buy a Wii U right now, you have to. And then, you know... I, I could easily see them slipping down a path where, say, like, the demo is limited to, like, three uses and then you can't play it anymore. You have to buy, like, the full game. And I, I don't think that's the right approach. I think the right approach is to make something that works uh, in its entirety as a smartphone game and then just invites them to play the full kinds of games. Uh, and then right. It has to feel like a natural progression. And I think uh, an, interesting, an interesting quote brought up was by uh, PlayStation head Shuhei Yoshida. He said that, according to their research... A lot of people start off with their kids playing Nintendo games when they're really young, and as they get older, they just sort of graduate towards PlayStation games. So he said, we love having Nintendo around. We don't consider them competition. We consider them a way to keep young people hooked on games. But right now, a, a lot of young people aren't going out, or a lot of parents aren't going out and buying a 3DS or a Wii U for their young kids. They're buying them a phone or a tablet. So what you're saying is video games are doomed. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> But but just as, as Sony sort of sees Nintendo games as a stepping stone to, you know, get young gamers to become gamers for life, I think Nintendo can use these, you know, little phone games to to get people to be gamers for life and to get them to sort of graduate from phones and tablets when they're little kids into Nintendo games when they're a little bit older and ready for a bigger experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they have, you know, such an amazing uh, lineup of IP. You know, there's a reason that people... Um, get so involved with Nintendo when they're younger. And um, I think it's that amazing lineup of, of this sort of sentimental characters, you know, like Donkey Kong, Zelda, Mario. These characters are so, in, in, in an almost inexplainable way. They, I think, really speak to like younger audiences um, and stick with younger audiences as they grow up. And so I think that I think that their their IP is really such a good way to get people on smartphone platforms interested in uh, full gaming and you know they could do they could do like a sort of mario kart demo like i explained uh they could do like they could do like a a one dungeon demo of like a zelda game running on the link between worlds engine uh that then says you know hey maybe you would like a link between worlds they could do you know a couple of of mario courses and i think something that's that is is really you know best suit for suited for smartphones is something uh like warioware or rhythm heaven where 
you know, really all you need is a touch screen. You don't need something super precise like you would in, in like a platformer. Uh, all you need is like gyro controls uh, and a touch screen. And those are the kinds of games that I think would work absolutely be the best. So Mario Kart, WarioWare, Rhythm Heaven, even F-Zero maybe uh, could work on, on like a smartphone thing if it was just a little... How pissed would diehard F-Zero fans be <laughs> if the series was revived as a cell phone game instead of a Wii U game? Or a free-to-play game. Oh my... <laughs> <laughs> it would be a companion game okay guys yeah on the on the note of companion games um i think one interesting thing that they could do is make companion games that aren't really just glorified marketing tools because i know they've talked a lot about smartphones being a tool for reaching consumers but it'd be also be interesting if they were uh value adds to the actual games themselves so for example we were talking about animal crossing what if they made an Animal Crossing mobile game that let you earn stuff that you can then carry over into your main Animal Crossing game? Uh, or in a Zelda game, maybe you earn rupees that you can then use to buy better equipment or something like that. Um, that way, they wouldn't just be these one-off... I think that would be really nice, but I think they would need to... It would be very tricky because they would need to do it in a way that not playing the mobile game doesn't take away from the experience of the main game. I think if you have, you know, optional ways to earn extra things on on the, on the mobile version of it, that would be good. But I think if you start dabbling in exclusive content that you can only get on the mobile version, I think that's when Nintendo fans are going to start to get a little bit upset. Especially if they do it with Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> version exclusives are enough. Yeah, I mean, I could see... I I could see a handful of little extras you get from the app that are just from the app, like little inconsequential things being okay. But yeah, I was really getting at something more like what Ben was saying, where maybe it's an alternative to grinding for money if you just use their app. Not the only way you can get money is through the mobile app. That would just be absurd. Uh, and so something like like this like whole smartphone sort of side games thing, I think is also uh, something really to consider is uh, given games that they've been making recently, like Game & Wario and like... Not so much Nintendo Land, maybe a couple of the attractions in Nintendo Land, uh, but something like Pokemon Shuffle, Game & Wario, a lot of those games in Game & Wario would be so much better suited as a mobile game than as a Wii U game because a lot of these experiences, you know, they've been making collections like this. We, we've seen like NES Remix, for example. They have these collections where they're not actually fun as like a sit down and play at home on the couch experience. But they would be a lot of fun as an open it for five minutes on the train experience. People yeah. still use trains? Okay, Ben. Well. Ha ha. Good they do joke. In, they do in Japan. and ja I use trains. Nintendo's from Japan. You'd think they'd put two and two together. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They should, you know, release train games in Japan just because trains and <laughs> cell phones are both ridiculously popular. Brain training. Spirit tracks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all the puns. Yeah, no. So, so things like this. I mean, there are there are certain there are certain of these like little mini niblet things that like like for example, I reviewed Game and Wario. I gave it a five because it's just not what you want from a, a real tried and true video game. If it were on smartphones, however, I could see it not only being like a fun and sort of addicting experience, but something you know ga games that you would share with your friends and say like, oh hey, I just beat your high score in Ninja Jump or whatever it's called. I bet right, make I it bet more of can't... a social thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because uh, you know, like when you when you play smartphone games, you sort of challenge your friends almost. Like, hey, this is how I, how far I got in Jetpack Joyride. Like, did you see the bubble power up? That's pretty cool. Whereas when you're sitting really at home on your consoles, 
it's not nearly as social an experience. Well, you tend to be limited to your social circle within the console community, not within your broader social community. Right, exactly. Whereas smartphone games, you know, you can really take them and talk to anyone and say, this is something cool that you should try out. So I think all of our answers have sort of centered around what games they could release on them, but Nintendo seems completely against releasing yeah. games. So are there any ideas really for <laughs> what they could do here? Uh, verse Mario Kart TV, I don't see why those would convince people to buy hardware, though. Right. That's like the th- that's like the, the issue I see, is that they're, they're absolutely correct that, that putting smartphone games out um, in addition to console games would dilute the brand, but they're not correct that that quality is inherent of smartphone games. Um, what they need to do is just make sure that it's like one game per series. That they don't release like a companion Mario Kart mobile game for every single Mario Kart game they make. They just make one like Mario Kart game. This is the Mario Kart for for smartphones. This is the Mario Kart that will tell you to go and buy real Mario Kart. Or even just not looking at it from that lens, they need to. If they're going to be thinking about the value of smartphone games, they should be thinking about making valuable smartphone games, not games that are going to make their brand look bad because uh, there are smartphone games that are that are good value and people really enjoy and if nintendo's really serious about making high quality games and then why couldn't they make a high quality smartphone game exactly especially with their expertise and touch games just from the ds right yeah i mean and it doesn't even have to be related to one of their ip it could be something completely new yeah although i do think rhythm heaven would work so well yeah and it I, I, honestly it has more of a feature on a platform like that than it would on a, oh yeah on oh a absolutely or, or it, would, it would certainly gather more fans on on smartphones than it has now uh, rhythm heaven is such a niche title but even even something like brain age um games like those are you know now the audience for brain age is not going to come to 3ds brain age needs to come to them because th- yeah there's already an expectation that things like that are going to be on smartphones back when the ds was launched there was no expectation for things like that because the DS w- was what introduced things like that. You bought a DS to participate in those types of games. People now have smartphones to participate in those types of games and things like brain age, brain training, those are outliers. And you know, now now that people can get so many things on their smartphones, they're not going to migrate to a 3DS just for brain age. But brain age would see the same level of monumental success that it saw in its DS days if that software came to the hardware where its fans were or where its audience was rather i don't think that there's anyone who's really considers themselves a fan of brain age <laughs> well certainly no one in the gaming yeah. circles maybe there's maybe there's some diehard people who got a lot of value out of it my when it came out. might, uh, might. <laughs> one thing that we kind of haven't talked about yet is uh doing things with smartphones that don't directly involve games at all uh, well, I guess Colin mentioned Miiverse, but you know, a lot of the flack Nintendo has been getting for their current platforms has to do with how poor the services are. And I think if they divorced the services from their gaming platforms and started to build, say, a native mobile app that uh, is a front end to their services like Miiverse or the eShop, uh, it would give them a chance to, first of all, break out of their paradigm of how things work on their platforms and start looking at how things work in the real world where consumers <laughs> live. <laughs> That was cold. Well, it's yeah. true. I, I mean, yeah. who who says the Nintendo eShop is like the best digital oh, store yeah, I've ever absolutely. used? No one says it. Uh, but thinking about how that would work on a smartphone would give them a chance to to look at it kind of in a non-Nintendo-centric way. And and plus, it since they're trying to get a head start on their future platform, uh, which they say is going to be built on Nintendo Network IDs, 
uh, this would give them a good chance to kind of get a head start uh, and not have to worry about building it for their next hardware, but worry about setting the groundwork now on devices that people already own. Look at, for example, the friend list. Uh, now, right now, if you want to check and see if your friends are playing games online, you have to turn on your Wii U. Well, wouldn't it be nice if you didn't have to turn on your Wii U and you could just pop open your app on your cell phone and see, oh, hey, my friend's playing Mario Kart. I mean, the thing is, I, I can't really see any sort of app that isn't a game that would actually attract people to their hardware because that really seems to be their goal in creating smartphone apps is getting new customers but i i feel like what nintendo does right is their games and that they cannot convince people of that unless they bring the games to to the consumers and say here's what we do here's what we do so well you can get it even better on this other hardware uh, you know, and that's that's kind of you know that that see it for yourself approach is what launched the DS and the Wii into such you know to such amazing success. And it seems it feels to me like they're kind of going back on that now. They're not letting people see the games. They're saying make an investment in our hardware first, and then you can enjoy the games. But no one's going to do that if they don't know that they're going to like the games. And I guess the point I was trying to make by talking about services was right now they're getting a lot of bad press for their bad services. And if they could reverse that and turn it into good press, Nintendo's getting with the times, Nintendo's got great mobile apps, that would be uh, one less thing that would make their platforms unattractive. Well, yeah. Uh, Since, you know, nowadays it seems like the default is you have to have great services to have a great platform. Uh, So I think if they're going to be attracting people to their platform, they need to lay that groundwork, uh, even apart from drawing people to their games. So I agree with you, but I think there's more to it than just just the marketing aspect. Yeah, so we're not exactly sure what to expect from Nintendo yet, but hopefully it won't be too much longer of a wait, because Iwata's sort of been dodging this question for months now. But he said at the last investors meeting that he hopes to address how they plan to use cell phones at the next meeting. So hopefully we can expect uh, more information on this in about two and a half months. Yeah. And hopefully that comes with some actual concrete uh, timelines and not just vagaries. Our plan is to tell you our plan at the next investors meeting. We're going to announce our announcement. (laughs) Please understand. So, everybody, thank you so much for listening. This is the Endo Nintendo Week for today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe either on iTunes or on YouTube. Uh, We launch new episodes on iTunes every Wednesday, and they release on YouTube between Thursday and Friday. Uh, And if you like this show, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. It really helps with visibility, so we greatly appreciate it, especially if you have good things to say and not bad ones. If you can't wait till next week for more of our stuff, you can head to Gamnesia.com to see more gaming news as it happens. Sony, Microsoft, Indie, you name it, and even a lot of Nintendo news that we didn't have time to discuss on this week's show is all there, and it will be all be there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every day, always updating. And finally, if you have questions or feedback for Nintendo Week, please send it to Colin at Gamnesia.com. That's C-O-L-I-N at Gamnesia.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have another great week.
For the record, I don't actually like Jimmy Fallon. I can't have that on my permanent record.